You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can follow our coverage over at the Summit, summithoops.com, two T's in honor of Pat. And if you like and enjoy this podcast, go ahead and rate and review us, subscribe, uh, and make sure you let people know about it. The more people that know about the podcast and subscribe to it, the bigger the audience for women's basketball. And so I have what I'm going to call a present for you today. I get these little presents in my email. I subscribe to the Pac-12 emails. And so every once in a while, uh, a few times a week, uh, Michelle Smith's latest uh, lands in my inbox. And so I have the legend herself, Michelle Smith, with us to talk all about it. How are you? Uh, Hi, Howard. All right. I'll take it. No, I stand by it. <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about because there is a Pac-12 tournament coming up this weekend, and I, I, it's hard to know where to start. I think we'll, we, we should probably go day by day, but I want to start within the first day with a couple of bits of news that uh, you were able to hear uh, on the Pac-12 uh, coaches call earlier today. So let's start by talking about uh, where things are with Washington State that just really seems snake bitten yeah, number Washington 10 seed going up against right USC They um, canceled their season finale against Stanford on Sunday um, because their strength and conditioning coach passed away suddenly on Saturday who had been with the university quite a long time. And Washington State, as we know, after the tragedy with the football program just a couple of months ago, has had a really rough couple of months. Um, and then they've been without June Doherty for a few weeks now, their head coach. And so she... Um, has some health issues that she's attending to, and Mike Doherty, her husband, who's the associate head coach, was on the call today, and he is not with the team right now. He's with June, who's in the hospital having a some sort of a medical procedure done, and the team is recovering from the loss of the strength and conditioning coach. And if you know, Washington State is a ten seed, and they had a rough go this season, although they've had. Mm-hmm. You know, a really, you know, Borislava Rostova had a great year for them, but they really had a tough go, and it's just hard to see a team come into the tournament in this kind of shape. When you see what Borislava Rostova has managed to do, despite the fact that she's facing these double teams, these triple teams on a regular basis, what do you think that means for what kind of player I mean, I she can be right? over I mean, the course of her career and even at the next level? She's been able to play through, you know, a lot, like you said, I mean, defenses, you know, Washington State is, you know, doesn't always maybe bring as much to the table as some other teams in terms of multiple threats and things. I mean, she has been able to score almost 19 points a game, and it's had some really big games for them. I think I did the math the other day, and she's got 11, 20-point games this season. Um, That's, you know, that's a big deal. I mean, and that means that she can find her shot. That means she's finding ways to score, even when the defense is pointing at her, and I think that bodes well for her um, going forward. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, going to be hard for her to take on USC, you know, with everything that's been going on. From the USC side of things, do you think a win over Washington State compromise that as they are is enough to get them in the tournament? Or do you think USC is the seventh seed, uh, just for, for our listeners, and would then face uh, number two Stanford the following day? You that know, they need to beat Stanford. Wins. Uh, they were to nine have, and nine uh, in a pretty tough conference. Their RPI is strong. I think it's somewhere in the mid 40s. Like, I think USC is in okay shape. Um, 
I think that they've I think they've done enough. I think obviously the, a win would in the first round would get them to twenty, but they played Stanford tough twice. I mean, down to the wire game twice. The first time they played them actually earlier in the year, Kristen Simon was battling the mm-hmm. flu and she was really struggling, and Stanford had to work hard to win that game, and they had to work hard to win it down in L.A. Um, the thing about SC that's going to be interesting is they're not a deep team, and this is a in theory four day back to back to back to back. If you go all the way to the end, I'm not predicting SC goes all the way to the end. I'm just saying they face a scenario where they've got people who've already played a ton of minutes who are going to have to start playing minutes on back to back days, and who can't afford foul trouble or can't afford something unexpected happening. Somebody gets hurt or somebody has to miss a few minutes because they go off the bench or whatever. Like those are the kind of things, you know, USC is working with a pretty narrow margin. That being said, I'm pretty impressed with what they've put together this year. I think that there's some Aliyah Mazik and Kristen Simon and those seniors who said, you know, we're not throwing away this season to rebuilding. We want to play well. And, you know, I think they've done that. It's been been remarkable. I mean, the, the fast build is something that I don't think anyone expected out of USC. So I hope you're right. I, I think they, they are a tournament team as well. And I think they belong there. And obviously that's a seventh team. But there's a really intriguing, to my mind, 8-9 game. And I, I, I go out of my way to see both these teams, uh, both the 8-seed Utah and the 9-seed Colorado. Colorado, obviously, with Kennedy Leonard and Alexis Robinson are just must-see whenever they get an opportunity to play. But Utah has a lot going on as well. What did you well, find out their top uh, that's going on Nisha with Utah? Provo, and then Megan Huff, the transfer from Hawaii, they both now have broken foot injuries, and so they're not playing. But they weren't playing last weekend either when Utah took SC and UCLA to overtime before losing both games. And, you know, and talk to Lynn Roberts and say, you know, I mean, you, you know, is there consolation in playing tough? Is that enough of a slingshot heading into this tournament? And her response is, well, it'd be a better slingshot if we had won one of them or two of them. Um, but Utah is a talented team, but, you know, they're going to be also under that tournament pressure where some people that were playing, you know, slightly lesser roles for them are going to all of a sudden have to play bigger roles and, you know, that can go either way sometimes, right? Either people are really inspired by that and they really step up for it or they, um, or, or it's the spotlight is really, really bright. Maybe, you know, they are in the roles that they're supposed to be in. But it'll be interesting. You know, they've got a couple of freshmen. Tori Williams has really stepped up. She put up 29 against Washington a couple of weeks ago. They've got an opportunity to um, do something. In Colorado, I like Colorado. But I think, you know, Colorado's got a couple of players who've done this. Kenny Leonard's done this tournament a couple of times. So, you know, I actually think that's a pretty compelling matchup. Um, I think Colorado mm-hmm. has a decent shot of winning that game, given Utah's injury situation. But, you know, Utah's proven that even without – couple of their best players that they could go toe-to-toe with a couple of the really strong teams in this conference. Because of where they are and because of the injuries they're facing, Utah, you feel it has to maybe prove itself yeah, a little bit Utah's more than really otherwise on the, Utah's really on the bubble. Do you I think mean, even beating Oregon, Utah is, if I'm not sure, they're, you know, they've got 17 wins. I don't know if they're, I don't know if even a win or two you know, maybe a second win might mm-hmm. all of a sudden get them a little tournament consideration. But obviously, they look like a really strong NIT team, too. So, you know, I think there's more games to be played for Utah. I'm just not sure they're going to be NCAA games. Yeah. 
And then for just before we get off of Utah, Emily Potter, and, and I, I just want to put in a quick plug for uh, a piece she wrote that was just uh, really beautiful talking about depression, but it reinforced for me something that, you know, she has a tremendous block percentage, one, one of the best uh, in the country, someone who's really bright as well. Do you see a WNBA future for her? Do you think that she has a chance well, to have her those name are two called different things, when, right? I mean, uh, having a name WNBA called and being able place? to land on a roster, as we have seen over the years, can be a tough team, even for some of the best college players in the country, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, True. I think she has, I think there's a decent chance that she gets her name called. Whether I see her making a roster, I don't know. It'd be interesting. She'd certainly be someone to root for. Uh, and, and, and then when you look at the other games, just on that first day, I mean, it's not quite the same level of compelling matchup, but anytime you have these two going up against each other, uh, obviously there's a fair amount of intrigue in state. It's Arizona State versus Arizona. I, I can't quite figure you out might what not Arizona be the only State one. is this year. <laughs> and, you know, there are times yeah. where they look like a top 15 yeah. team. Yeah. No, I just, but I, I, but you will, you'll know if anyone knows you will. So uh, what is Arizona State and what are you expecting? What are you looking to see out of them to have a sense well, of, I mean, Arizona sort of defining State at least who they are here, you know, as we head in the that plays this very, you know, has this very disciplined, disciplined defensive mindset and they're going to make you play ugly. They're going to make you do things that you don't want to do. And they've helped some teams with some pretty low scores this season. Turner Thorne thought mm-hmm. that she had at the beginning of the year was an offense that was humming along that stopped humming at some point. Um, and so, I, you know, and she was on our call today and she said, we got to get back to playing, you know, better offensive basketball because, again, and it's always, this has always been my firm belief is that defense will take you a long way, but it won't win you a tournament title. And I think that's true probably in a conference tournament title or in an NCAA tournament title. You have to score and they're not scoring efficiently enough. Um, and I think that's been a problem for them over these past few weeks as they've lost some of their momentum. I mean, they really haven't. They got to win over Stanford, but they are lacking, you know, a couple of more signature wins. And I don't know if they get them here. That being said, Arizona is a really young team. They're not super mm-hmm. deep. Adia Barnes is going to remake that program. I'm fairly confident she's going to do really good work there over the next couple of years. Excuse me, but um, I don't think that this is the year that they knock off Arizona State. Same. You know, move to the next round. No, that doesn't doesn't seem like it. And and then I guess that what would be the biggest upset of day one? What do you think Jody Wynn's team can do? Can they shoot the lights out and find a way to knock off Cal? Um, and, you know, even, uh, find some way, way to Christina Nigue. You know, I mean, there's been days when Christina Nigue slowed down herself, honestly, with foul trouble or, you know, on games that she hasn't played as well. Lindsay Gottlieb has been pretty willing to take Christina Nigue out of a game when she hasn't seen her playing to the level that she wants her to play. Um, or maybe to try and light a little bit of a fire under and bring her back in. But, yeah, I mean, at tournament time, I think mm-hmm. Christina Nigue figures big. But they need perimeter scoring, and they need Michaela Cowling and Asia Thomas to score. You know, they need... The game cannot run solely through Christina Nigue because I think we've looked at it over the course of three years when that's happened with the Bears, they start to flip. They don't win as many games as people think they're going to win. I think Washington's really interesting. I mean, Washington played Stanford great the other night, and Amber Malgoza puts up a 40 spot against Tara Vanderveer, who clearly is game planning for her. That's impressive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you put up a 40 against Stanford in a situation, you know, it was against one of the best game planning coaches in the history of basketball. 
that's an impressive feat. And I was really impressed with what Amber Malgoza did. So I'm kind of interested. That's going to be an interesting game. I mean, I think Cal wins because overall they've got more experience in that. But Washington, I think this is just going to be a more interesting game than maybe people think. Agreed, and, and I'm really curious to see what, what year two looks like for Jody Wynn and, um, and, and beyond because that's an interesting base she's built there. I see it as there are four teams, though, that are above and beyond, and, and those day two teams, it seems like there is a clear extra jump uh, between them and even, you know, Cal at five yeah. and Arizona State at six. Yeah. Do you but see I it that, that way also? Like, I think USC is the lurker here at least for a couple of games. Again, I think USC lurks because they could beat you on a mm. given day um, and knock you out of the tournament. Again, because they don't have a lot of depth and they don't have, you know, they don't have a deep bench. I don't know. I don't see them going all the way to the end. At some point, they run out of gas. But that Stanford game, I think, is going to be a really, really interesting game in the second round. That being said, Stanford has done, you know, considering that, you know, when we were talking about them in late December, early January, they had lost to Tennessee, and then they, you know, they fall out of the national rankings, and then they're back in, and then now they're slowly climbing up they're, you know, back in the middle of the rankings again, and I never thought that there were 25 teams in the country that were better than Stanford. I just thought it was going to take some time to put it together, but I think they've put it together pretty well, mm-hmm. um, but they're also, you know, but I think that there are some vulnerabilities there and that, you know, if, you know, it's can't, it can't be the Britt McSee show all the time. I think at this point, you know, Kaylee Johnson is a great rebounder for them, but she's not going to score for them. When she's got Kayla Johnson and Marta Music on the floor offensively, I think that that limits them quite a bit because as much as I love how dependable Marta Music is with the ball, she doesn't score for them or doesn't score a lot for them. So, you know, it's going to be a matter of, you know, players Mm -hmm. like Natalie Fingal and DJ Carrington coming in and getting it done offensively, and that's going to have to happen. And it's interesting. They they had those limitations similarly offensively last year, and Tara found a way to get them to the Final Four anyway because she's Tara. But what was striking to me and and sort of re- oriented the way I thought about this was our, our own Ben Dahl uh, yeah, over at the summit yep. talked about uh, has a really good breakdown of, of, of all the Pac-12 teams and, and, and he pointed out that McPhee had missed 9 of the 29 games and I just wonder how much of you know so much of offense is continuity how much of what well, the up and I mean, down I think so but you know and you know so if that. she's missed 9 of those games you know I think her legs are still pretty fresh I mean God she plays with so much energy right and especially at end of games McPhee is making plays and doing things that nobody else doing. I mean, I think, you know, I think her legs are fresh. I think her mind is fresh. I think, you know, there's stuff that she wants to get done. I like Stanford a lot. I think that they're, you know, I think that they are um, sometimes better than the sum of their parts, which I thought about last year's team, too, in reality, because you're not talking about a team laden with All-Americans here. But B might have mm-hmm. a shot at making an All-American team, right, or being a, you know, maybe a second-team All-American, but she's not one of the best five or eight players in the country. And, you know, and yet they're going to win anyway, and they're going to do, you know, and they're going to improve. I mean, that's the thing that I think is throughout Tara Vanderbilt's career, and especially in these later years, I would say, which not had All-American-laden teams probably in the last five or six years, get better, and they play you tough, and they will always give you a great game plan, and they play ridiculously good scout defense, and that gives a lot of teams trouble.
And and is a particularly good recipe come March because it means they're they're in every one of those games, even against teams that maybe have better one on one competition for you. I no, I, I'm with you, and I think the flip side of this is that any one of the top four teams, whether you, you know, and and just for our listeners, Oregon is the one seed, Stanford the two seed, Oregon State the three seed, and UCLA, and it's kind of absurd, is 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 the four seed. No, any I don't one think of those so either, and I would say so. You know, what's interesting is on the spectrum of among those seeds, Oregon has the least experience going deep in this tournament and doing the back-to-back-to-back-to-back. They've made the semifinals in this tournament only twice Mm -hmm. in 17 years. They've, you know, this is, you know, an Oregon team that hasn't gone super far in this tournament. So that, I think, is a really interesting thing to watch for me is to see how they, you know, and maybe they're just built for, you know, maybe the way that they're built this season is just going to lend really well to that. But I'm going to be really interested to watch this. I think Oregon State it's really, really got a lot of momentum right now. I mean, I think that they're more way Marie Gulich is playing. I think they're playing really confidently. Like, I'm excited to see that. And I'm kind of excited to see how absolutely hell-bet motivated mm-hmm. Jordan Canada and Monique Billings are to finish with a title. Because I think they've been picked to win the Pac-12 the last couple of years, and they haven't ended up with a championship. And how hungry are you to have one? And because your, opportunity, your last opportunity is right here. So, you know, all of those things are interesting to me. So, I agree, and and so there's two parts to that. One is, how much of this is in and of itself a motivator, and then how much room do you think these teams have to grow when you think about their NCAA tournament seeds? I mean, what what do you think, Oregon wins, do do they have a chance at a number one seed, or do you think they're locked into a number two uh, when the bracket gets released nationally? What, What do you think UCLA can be? And well, I mean, I think Oregon State and Stanford are the ones that are sort of hanging around, right, on the host to host or not to host. That is the question, right, for those two teams. I think an early exit for either one of them puts them on all Mm -hmm. of a sudden very shaky ground in terms of being able to host. I don't think a an early uh, Pac-12 tournament exit is going to look is going to bode well for either one of them if they want to host. But I think that long tournament runs solidify their hosting position. These are all four teams. These are all top four seeds. I don't think Oregon ends up on the one line. Um, I don't see that happening. I think they're probably pretty solidly a number two. And I think for UCLA, I think that there are some things, you know, they've got the, they've got the best non-conference win from, uh, and from that win over Baylor. And there were, you know, Kim Mulkey wasn't there and there was extenuating circumstances, but they beat Baylor. And that was right. a great win for the conference and things. But I think, you know, UCLA is probably in the three to four neighborhood too. So I, you know, I don't know that there's UCLA is going to be able to do much to hurt themselves. I think Stanford, because they haven't won a lot of games against ranked teams outside of the conference, they've got to do well. I think Oregon State's got to do well because their their non-conference RPI was so weak. But mm-hmm. I think the other two are pretty, I think they're pretty cemented into where they're going to end up. I mean, for UCLA, they can yeah. they can break a win over Baylor. Mm-hmm. Literally, no one else can do that. So it's they, they also strike me as a team that's particularly well built for postseason play. Uh, for you know, for not just what's going on this weekend, but March as well. Do you see it that way? And 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 if not, I'm curious which team you think uh, among these Pac-12 powers. I like is Oregon. Built to I like go UCLA a lot too. March. But I don't. You know, UCLA, the question always is, when they end up in that Sweet 16 Elite 8 round and they're playing against somebody who can really score, can they score enough? I mean, you know you're going to get great from Mo and Jordan. And then 
is Kennedy Burke going to score enough mm-hmm. for you? Is it, you know, I, do they have enough offense to really go with somebody who's going to put up 80 points or, you know, or is that going to be that kind of game? Or are they going to have to, you know, pop that down into the mid sixties and see if they can grind one out and make some big defensive plays. I think Oregon is probably the most well built at this point. And I think Oregon State's interestingly built for a run. I mean, if they get a chance to host and they're really good in Corvallis, which has turned into one of the best atmospheres in college basketball for women's basketball. And so I think Oregon State's really, really interesting because I think they've got they've got a decently long run in them too. And Stanford I think is gonna be about matchups. Um, who do they get? Right, and we'll see how that goes. Well, all I can tell you is that I am jealous and plan to live vicariously through you this upcoming weekend. Where can people who are listening uh, find your? You will find stuff starting on Friday for me uh, at Pac12.com, and then actually I will be hopping back up with my friends at ESPNW on Saturday and Sunday, and providing some coverage for them as well. Well, I will just tell everyone, make sure you follow Michelle on Twitter as well and enjoy every bit of it. Thanks, Howard. I certainly think we will as well. Michelle Smith, thank you for the time. Reminder to our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBV. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast as well. I'm Howard Magdal, wishing you a wonderful day.